This episode of Commander's Log is brought to you by Geek Renaissance. Need that special gift for the nerd in your life? Love supporting small business? Look no further than Geek Renaissance. The artist, Sephra, makes all items by hand and will boldly go to the final frontier for your unique gift. Head over to geekrenaissance.company.site and use the code FLOBITO, that's F-L-O-B-I-T-O, to get 10% off your order. Don't forget to follow, like, and share Geek Renaissance on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Man, flying through space, and I love every single moment of it. You are locked into Commander's Log, your unofficial stop for Star Trek Discovery and other shows. We haven't figured that out yet. Reviews. I am Global Boys, the Chief Communication Officer of the USS Post Show, but of course, I'm just a number one. Hey, we're the captain. Someone the pilots through all the asteroid belts and anomalies, and the fact that DMA has a nickname that everyone says now, like we should all know what it is. Get out for thee! Captain John Weber, what's up? Yeah, baby. yeah, boy, that's so embarrassing. You put me up, and I'm like, honestly, <laughs> welcome back to Commander's Law. Hey, <laughs> hang on, let me get the coleslaw out of my whiskers. <laughs> You're abusing the replicator again, <laughs> man. Uh, what an episode! Oh my gosh, oh, Flobo. Whoa! This one knocked the you wind liked it because you were you looking kind of jaded, Captain. Last week you're like, I don't really know about discovery. I tell you, back in my day on the farm, it was here with. But now you're saying it's good. It's so true. Um, well, here's the thing: I have the last couple of episodes of our show. I have definitely been kind of the voice of doom. Like, I don't know. We're kind of heading in this direction. I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, maybe for like two, maybe three episodes, you could say there were these trends going on of certain characters and certain storylines. And I didn't like where they were going. And then all of a sudden, this episode comes along. The examples. Did I get that right? The examples. Yep. The examples. Episode five, season four. This one, this one comes along, shakes everything up jumps a whole bunch of storylines forward gets us uh really on shaky ground in a lot of places and as you know when things are scary that's when the drama happens i don't know nothing <laughs> <laughs> well before we get into the episode we it is a show with no adira no gray no tilly yes. no detmer or bryce uh but you're yes. saying despite all that it is addition by subtraction uh you know they uh, they brought back Jet Reno, uh, played by Tig. Yeah, they did. Hey, uh, fan very favorite. Very exciting. Morkovich, this episode. As you know, I love Makovich, uh, played by David Cronenberg, <laughs> the uh, master of Canadian suspense and horror. And I don't say that jokingly. He really is. I love him. He's, he's the fact to categorize like, the Star Trek characters like Canadian guy, I love my redheads. Ah! <laughs> this is very... I give you one of those, one of those, one of those. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I mean, I think I'm taking it pretty well, considering how much I love my redheads. And we've we've had a lot of bad redhead news. This episode mm -hmm. doesn't have Detmer. This yeah, episode doesn't. doesn't have Tilly. No. Nope. And they shoot statements from behind. And that red hair ain't gonna be here forever. Oh. <laughs> I hate to say it. Replicate it. <laughs> There's some Friar Tuck action going on yeah. from behind. And hey, man, it happens. It is a man's journey. It happens. 
But actually, it's a person's journey. Lots of people uh, get the bald spot. But oh, my gosh. Yeah, say goodbye to that red hair, my friend. I, I got to be honest with you. I lost my hair at 21 and shaved over 24. So I have no sympathy. Oh, man. Yeah, but you rock the dome, man. You rock it. Not much of a choice there, Captain, but I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> let, let me tell you, I uh, I should not put this out in the universe, and I'm knocking on my wooden desk as I say it. But <laughs> it better be wood. My, if my hair was not on top of this head, mm -hmm. you would see a topography that you would not believe. I have scars from when I was a professional wrestler. I oh, have yeah. bizarre, you know, bumps and ridges. I am like half Klingon. <laughs> right. I'm like Milana Torres over here. The Kuzma, right? <laughs> you would not believe the ridges and the rises and the peaks and the points. Oh, there's so much going on on this skull right here. I have nothing <laughs> but respect for people who can rock the dome and rock their handsome skull. Man, let's go into it, man. Uh, Jonathan Stamets, <laughs> and is, I, I assume a smooth head. He's going through some stuff in this episode, right? He has yes. a little bit of this experiment happening here. Now, I, I know we're going to get into this a bit more detail here. But to me, I felt it was kind of cheap that we got this random character just showing up, helping him out here. What was his name? I'm trying to figure this out here now. Tarka. Yes, Ruan. Ruran Tarka also worked with Aurelia, which I have I miss Aurelia. She'd come back on the show. Uh, yeah. Ruan, I, I get the idea of having someone smarter than thou, but it feels like everyone knew who Ruran Tarka was and no one talked to him before this week. What's going on? It's so funny. Okay, so the story of Ruan Tarka is um, when the Discovery jumps forward 900 plus years, no one's ever heard of their spore drive because it was secret. And... Uh, and then they, you know, as a gesture of goodwill to the uh, Federation, they basically say, we will share this technology with all of the Federation. It is the right thing to do. They're members of the Federation. Yeah. Like so, when I was a kid, there was Columbia Records, like 100 CDs for a cent. I get it. <laughs> I have so many CDs I haven't paid for. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, you know, uh, Steely Dan's Asia on cassette. <laughs> Steely Dan. It's just one of my favorite things. And I didn't, I didn't ask for it. Right. God bless my mom telling them like he's 13. You can't hold him to a contract. Um, you know, the the oh, where was I? Oh my god. Talking about Ruan Tarka. Right. Ruan Tarka has been given all of the specs and all of the information about the spore drive, which uh Stamets, it all came from him. So uh hey Kay. Um, one of my favorite things, and I I know I talk about this on the various shows. I I think I've talked about it here on yeah, the Commander's me. Log. Uh, the um, the Niles Crane yeah. phenomena. You yeah. know, Fraser Crane is fussy and uh, intellectual and persnickety. Uh, so mm -hmm. that when they give Fraser his own show, and it's kind of genius, what they did was they created his brother, who was more. All those things that that he was all those you know sort of eh, not great things he was more in his brother so his brother kind of becomes the joke that fraser can make fun of how how fussy he is how persnickety he is how how hoity-toity he is so we get the um it's so funny i actually use hoity-toity several times in my notes <laughs> I, I don't i guess it's my phrase of the week oh sorry let cut you off here how do you spell that is it h-o-i-t-y is it h-o-u-g-h-t-y you know i put the g-h in both of them i don't know if that's hmm. proper 
but for hmm. some reason, I, and and proper might actually be H O I G H T Y, and then toity without it, T O I T Y. That would be my guess. It doesn't yeah. make any sense because it breaks its own rules. And let's face yeah, it, it's like maybe Pamby or Artsy Fartsy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I sorry, not what we're here for, but I know you guys have to get your topic. <laughs> anyway, making the very longest point short, um, we have we are meeting in Ruantarka, we are meeting the Stamitsy statements, the more Stamitsy statements. Yeah. So whatever statements was up to this point in terms of being fussy and nerdy and hard to talk to and irritable. Ruan Darka turns out to be a lot more. Yeah, and it definitely works for their, their favor, right? Uh we're gonna jump around here with this with this experiment. But the idea of of I guess not say replicating, but just to have an experiment of their their miniature DMA to understand how it works because of the magic trick it did in the beginning of the episode. And so I, I like the I, I like the idea of having stronger heads prevail, but you can tell Stamps is kind of like, oh, this guy, he ego me, he kayfabe me, didn't answer, left me on red, and now he comes waltzing in for all the glory. I'm not really a fan. I mean, he you, he literally says, how can I work with somebody who doesn't have respect for the, uh, you know, like the, the conventions of being nice? It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, you care about being nice now? That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And, and it also puts us in a great situation. This happens over and over in this episode where something that wasn't dangerous before is now extremely dangerous. So just the science of building this uh, replica, this working replica, by the way. So it still does have very negative powers, um, this little um, replica of the DMA that they make. Hey, Kirsten, um, now that you've got that, things could potentially go wrong. And if Stamets was running it or if Tilly was running it, then... Mm -hmm. Uh, we know they would do everything they can to make it safe, but we don't know that about Tarka. Tarka's right. dangerous, man. Yeah. <laughs> he hangs out under the bleachers at the school, bro. Uh, <laughs> well, why, while Burnham's on a mission we'll get to, obviously, uh, later on this episode, Saru is running point. Remember, the new unafraid Saru yes. running point in this, making sure everything is supposedly safe. Now, yeah. walk me through the dilemma here. This DMA replica needs a whole crap ton of energy. And I was cool to see the science, the needs of the scientific experiment versus the needs of, not bureaucracy, but the actual thing of not killing everybody and having Reno and having Saru go back and forth. There were some parameters put in place, but it was pushed to the limit. Uh, Top question, was Saru right? And bottom question is, what would you think about the whole, like, experimentation process? It's interesting because the Admiral is actually a big part of setting up uh, the parameters of just command uh, during this. And so he says, um, you, Captain Burnham, will be running this rescue mission, running it, yeah, running the whole rescue effort, and Saru will take over the con. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, And that's really interesting because we're seeing what we saw in one of the first episodes where there was this question about Burnham leaving the captain's chair to go right. off and do these dangerous things. Yeah. So there's a lot of tension there. Should she be doing that? The Admiral actually says, yeah, do that. And, and Saru, who is a great administrator and a great leader of people, of personalities, uh, is the guy who's, who's captain in, in front of that. 
So now he represents being wise, being careful, being cautious. And, and, and he's getting pushed. He's getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And so, yeah, he comes up with the, the kill switch. How many kill switches have we ever seen in Star Trek? A lot of them. (laughs) <laughs> oh, have we? Uh, so he's got this kill switch to shut down this potentially dangerous uh, uh, experiment. And what's really funny is as the experiment gets more dangerous, Stamets goes over to Ruan Tarka's side more and more. So his yeah. new friend, the other valedictorian of, right. of space genius, uh, is guiding him down a potentially dangerous, deadly path. And that's really interesting. Also, Tilly's not there, so you don't have the mm-hmm. heart, you know. Right. Jet Reno is there ripped instead. Out. Yeah, ripped out of our our chests. Damn it! And our beautiful redhead, she's running a school now. What's up with right. that? But um, you've got Jet <laughs> Reno is back and perfect role for this one. How many craps does Jet Reno ever give? She is such a like cool customer in the face of danger so we've got a ton of danger and we've got jet there uh it, it's awesome it's an awesome setup so jet's kind of my favorite character in this episode because i think that's how i would act on a ship like i know this will probably kill us and she even says it i think that's close to ever come to killing us and that's just a lot <laughs> but she doesn't anyway because it's her job she's like are you sure you want to do this because i got authorization we're, we're making that happen now i gotta ask yeah. you if you were a attractive saru would you have done it and would you have gone as far as he did? Or um, done? Yeah, you know, I, 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 maybe it's just the benefit of being a viewer and watching it, but I probably would have shut it down long before he did. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can tell how dangerous Tarka is. Right. Th- this guy is going to get <laughs> us in some trouble. And right. by the time we get to the end of this episode, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to get us into some trouble. Yeah. I also love that it was Saru who brought up um, one of my, like, you know, I'm always like that mystery viewer. I like to watch the mystery and try to solve the mystery. Oh, Sometimes yeah, I can, yeah. I love CSI. Yeah. I, I, I think everybody kind of feels that, you know, um, it, which is why these, these genres are popular uh, in this case. There's a great theory. Uh, the first thing they theorize about the DMA is that it might be a weapon. Clearly, mm-hmm. it's destructive. Mm-hmm. But the second thing that uh, comes up, and it comes from Saru, is is it merely a device to clear out large portions of space for some reason? Right. Which it, it sounds so much like um, it, anybody here who's into Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It, it starts with the earth being destroyed because they're building a freeway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the earth's awesome. in the way. So they show up and they're just like, yeah, yeah, we're going to blow it. And they just blow up the earth. So that could happen. We've heard, uh, you know, from astronomers and, and, and people making theories out of real astronomical observations that, there is this idea that there might be these gigantic, gigantic structures that were built that have mm-hmm. been manufactured in space. They they suspect certain fields that they see uh, of debris or asteroids might be part of that. Um, so far, they haven't found one, but 
that is an active thing going on. Right. Even with uh, a replicated mashed potatoes in one pea, uh, ah. we get an idea that someone's put it really gross. I mean, there's other ways to happen. You have holograms, bro. Why would you replicate? Whatever. It's such it, a weird callback to uh, Close Encounters of the First Kind, don't you think? I just kind of like, well, why? That's <laughs> <You know? laughs> one reference I could do without. Um, so my idea or my theory of it being sentient is kind of being off to the wayside a little bit. It looks like someone's controlling it or a, a race of a planet huge. or something is controlling huge, it. Huge, huge revelation. And it comes the right question, in the beginning of the episode, which I love. Yeah, they they waste all time. And there's something that Anthony Zwaker was back to CSI, another reference, about he wants feature television. Things move along the plot super fast. I, I'm glad it happened this early because I feel like yeah. in season two, this revelation came like episode 10 or 11. It was like so yeah. fast. I'm glad it's happening now. The question is now, if you could do a little prediction before we move on, uh, what would be the end game to have this giant sweeping black hole that could take and envelope everything around it? Galaxy okay. Domination? That is an incredible mystery. I I don't even have a guess. I mean, if I had to make a super smart guess, I would have come up with what Saru mentioned, which is, are they are they just trying to clear out parts of space because they don't care what's there and yeah. they're so powerful. Um, the the other question I have now that might answer your question is, is this like the doomsday machine from the original series. Is this an abandoned weapon um, from a, from a long forgotten war? Um, but it's being used right now. And we know for a fact now it is being used. It is being activated. It is being moved. And right. It's created this um, like post nine 11 fear of, Oh my God, we're being hit. We're being attacked. So I'm worried about it because it's so big and it's so massive and it's so destructive. Like I, I find it a little hard to believe there's no one had seen this being built or developed, right? So I understand it's looking to be a people, but it's people have to be off the grid and another quadrant, another time, another something for me to make. If it's like Talos Dude. 4 again, I'll be upset. Like, hey, <laughs> what, are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, what was the, um, okay, so they get their, um, they get their debrief from the Admiral. And uh, he says, we've suspected that it might be the Metrons, the Nassine, surviving members of the Iconian Empire, or the Q Continuum. Yes. Yeah. And then they said, we eliminated that because nobody has heard from the Q for 600 years. Now, I'm going to have to do some deep dive research that I didn't have time to do today. But, Google oh, ending? my God. Like... <laughs> Wait a minute, the Q haven't been heard from for 600 years? So how does that time out with Picard season two? <laughs> so so it can go either way. Like that's what I'm glad you brought that up because that's in my notes as well. It's like either yeah. they're making that seed plan for them to show up, or they're saying keep them off the board. It's too easy of an answer. And I'm not sure what the intent is. Stress Free K has a question there. It says, uh, but who could be so angry? Do they have a list of plans they want to destroy? I hope they do. That's my slam a, book <laughs> that's a great question and and i i wonder i wonder if it's in if the destruction is intentional or if it's um we're just doing a thing and we don't care who gets hurt um I, i'm you know we're really at a place right now where we know that there is a device that controls it but we don't know anything about who controls that device yeah 
Yeah. Uh, just on a scale, because we did scales in this episode too, uh, of, of zero being ugh and Tim like, yeah, your thoughts on Tarka as far as just being in, the, in this group. Are you pro, anti, neutral on him? Here's, here's the problem. Give me and the problem, John. I, 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 hate, I hate to have this problem in front of everybody. I, I should probably work it out on my own. But it's here's okay. You're among friends. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> the actor playing Tarka. Uh, I do not, I do not dislike this guy at all, but oh my God, you could have gotten a celebrity. What? That's your reason? <laughs> that, here's the inner producer in my head is like, you got me another Canadian. They're cheap. <laughs> you are. And they're local. Yeah. You didn't have to fly <laughs> them in. Right. Um, you, you got another Canadian actor who is quite good. But um, where is the benefit? Where is the, where is what he brings to the party? Where is the, um, you know, wh where is that inner power? Okay. And, that, and sometimes who do you cast you right now. Cast them right who would, now. I could, who would yeah, I cast? Who would, besides yourself. Who's doing TV right now? I mean, that's the thing. Is Lawrence Fishburne available? Is <laughs> he's Ted, Danson, up in his... Ted Danson's not available? He's got a show. Do Ted Danson and and Cronenberg in the same. It'd be too much <laughs> pompadours and bouffants for one viewership. We can't do that. <laughs> well, you, you gotta love Cowboy Curtis then, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Come on, man, he's not in the new Matrix movie. Come on, <laughs> imagine he comes in like the Pee Wee Herman thing. Oh my god! <laughs> do you uh, know he's he's actually working on a Marvel animated show called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. No, but you know what? I'm glad I'm bringing that to life. Heck yeah. 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 It, it's it's awesome. It is awesome. It reminds me so much of Into the Spider-Verse. In yeah. the music and the and the art. Oh, you, you gotta look that trailer up. Devil Dinosaur is pretty pretty legit. Pretty awesome. It is. It goes <laughs> way back and it's Jack Kirby and it's oh it's a beautiful thing. But Jack um, Kirby is so good that now what two generations later we're still uncovering layers of stuff. That's how you know you're an artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gene Roddenberry, we love you. Same thing. E Eternals, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I I'll tell you what, um, you know, somebody who could bring a little baggage to this part would have made me happier than the guy doing it, but the guy doing it is okay. Wow. He's fine. Page alert. But <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, you got David Cronenberg, uh, like doing like a, a, a session uh, of therapy with Culber. David yeah. Cronenberg, come on, get uh, me somebody yeah. great here. I'll take one of the kids in the hall at this point. I'll take a Canadian. Give the things Canadian. that trigger you, man, it's just so crazy. <laughs> Before we get to our, our A plot, uh, what's up? What, did I cut you off? Oh, no, no. Uh, before we get to our A plot, let's get to our C plot. Uh, Hugh Culver, Culver, I always get that name wrong, is uh, giving and giving and giving, but finds out he's been giving from an empty cup. Surprise! Oh, you know, oh. he died, by the way. They remind you about that, this one. Uh, even booking a very short eight-minute <laughs> talk with Kovic, even though he was like six minutes at cheat about what's going on. <laughs> so so Cobra's doing do a lot, and he's, a lot of ways the conscience of Discovery, especially them jumping in the future. But yeah. now we're seeing him crack and fray a bit. Will this become another instance where he may go off the grid? That is a very good question. I don't know what the solution is going to be. He doesn't seem to be embracing the obvious solution, which is just take some time off. And it's such an obvious solution. Maybe just dramatically, it's like he can't just accept that. Um, I do love, though, that 
all of his giving, him him being so supportive of everybody this season has a taken a toll on him. B it's broken now. And C Kovich at Culber's request calls him out for a savior complex. How often yeah. does that happen in Star Trek? Major, major. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. And and I just love Culber. I just absolutely love him. I love Stamets too. I mean, one of I'm watching the show for the second time going, why is my favorite scene where the two guys end the day like um, Mr. and Mrs. Brady in their bed talking about the kids? Because <laughs> you know how it is, man. A long, hard day of making black holes when I kick back with your significant other and talk about your day with a nice cold one. Know, discovery I mean, ale <laughs> it's so sweet it is yeah. absolutely sweet and and really like one of the best scenes in the whole episode it was a good episode too i was kind of like you know for a married couple they're being awfully affectionate <laughs> no I'm just it, was, it, was, it was cool it was cool it was, it was a nice moment because you know they both care about each other so it was awesome well, usually like, go to bed all right woman I'm <laughs> hey one more thing yeah. You're not really asleep. <laughs> exactly. You're not really asleep. Come on, man. I can tell. <laughs> My day was hard. No, no I, I, I hear you. I love it. I love it. There are two great scenes at the end. That was one of them. Um, actually, three. Uh, uh, and the one where uh, Tarka talks to Book. I mean, I yeah. kind of jumping ahead here, but no, let's jump ahead. God. Get Tarker off the off the bridge. So there was that conversation. Uh, there was that 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 disdain for Synthahall. Gee, sorry, or I said the Ritz. Uh, but there's a little bit of understanding there, even though it hasn't yeah. been anything agreed. But Tarka's looking at book like, hey man, I see you, bro. Yes, yes. And um, and and right at the very beginning, uh, in the beginning debriefing, uh, actually Stamets drops a very important piece of information that will shape the whole episode and this piece of information is Tarka has been working on the his own like advanced version of the spore drive trying to push the spore drive further so that it can be you know much more widely used which is a great idea right. and and what happens in doing that is statement says he can only do so much because he doesn't have a navigator. He doesn't have that human interface that we have in both Stamets and Book. Both of them mm -hmm. can interact with the drive, and, and you need that. That's an important part. He doesn't have that, so he can only go so far in creating his own spore drive. However, at However. the end, there he is, the Ryzean. He's from Ryza. He's like a true, a evil scientist genius, uh, not evil, but amoral. They mention that often. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. Ryza and Ryza and Ryza and Ryza. My old school, my old school. And, and you know, it's so funny to me because to me, that's like the intergalactic uh, equivalent of coming from Florida. Oh no! <laughs> I think he's a Florida man. Oh man, he's wearing one of those gooch. Uh, guys raising the South shirts. Please spare me. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting a bad boy vibe. And and it is um it is like the guy from Ryza, the pleasure planet, who, you know, has something to prove and wants to show everybody back home that he's better than they are. Um, but that that goes into him reading book 
like a book. Oh, I get it. That's his name. <laughs> and and understanding where he's coming from. And he says, you know, all that anger, where to put it? And you just know he's going to come up with some terrible, dangerous, not at all good idea. And Book is looking available for it. Because Book, understanding that someone controlling this thing that destroyed mm -hmm. his planet and all of his people, he will now have a chance to get revenge at the person who hand, had the hand on the controls. Uh, True. It's going to get dangerous. And, and Book is going to some stuff this week because, a plot, there is a rescue mission that our plucky captain, you know, doing, you know, for, by the way, sidebar, I always said this on the show, but stop complaining about Burnham going on in the field. Kirk did it all the time. And Kirk all did it time. like half the speed. Uh, but rescue mission, and apparently there is an impending, I guess, not say attack, but like <laughs> an impending strike, I guess, on this in yeah. space. And so there is a prison that they need to get the prisoners out, but they are the examples, and there's no help from the bureaucracy of space. So Michael Burnham goes down there so with Booker uh, to investigate. Uh, thoughts about this? Because uh, the, the mission is one thing, but Reese wants to volunteer. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Captain? How about that? I feel like they've been trying to get the bridge crew a little more prominent in, in storylines. We know a little bit more like there, uh, you, you and I both love communications officers. That's, that's like just w one of the things we love about star Trek. And yeah. uh, this guy, Christopher, Lieutenant Christopher is uh, still in the chair. So they haven't brought the original guy back. What's no, up? they haven't. Bryce, what's up? What's up? I don't want to be replaced by a smaller, better-looking dude. Why, why would they do that? That's not possible. Not possible it's at all. It's constantly about? possible. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, we've we've got this um, we've got this incredible uh, setup because this settlement, this colony, was originally part of the Emerald Chain. Yes. So they follow a lot of Emerald Chain rules. And these are the very amoral Orions that were in the sort of organized crime family called the Emerald Chain. Right. And uh, so one of the things that they would do is they would always have six people. Apparently, we learned this all in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, they have six people who are just basically placed in stocks. You know, the old thing where like, they put the hands and through yeah. the head and they put the thing down you're just stuck and so that they can be the example of what happens to you if you break the law even though as far as the people uh as as far as most of the prisoners know they have committed very small crimes they are just the examples hey craig what's up man and and we have got we've got this you know great humanitarian effort by Captain Burnham, by book, to get down there and rescue these people, even though the guy, the sovereign magistrate, so that pretty much, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much like a police chief runs the whole thing. That's that's what I take sovereign magistrate to mean. Woo, and, and he's police chief. Woo. <laughs> I mean, why is he such a dick? 
I'm just, hey, man, Google LA Sheriff Gangs. Listen, question about you, John. The thing is, you have the sovereign magistrate, and there seems to be a conflict there, which I thought was very classic Trek. Uh, yes. This is the way we do things. Uh, yep. I guess, is it Prime Directive or General Order 1? I'm not sure what they use anymore. But it uh, is that. And then there's a whole, like, no, but we have a mission. They're, human, they're souls, not human beings. They're souls. We have to get them back on the boat. I thought that was a right. really cool dynamic. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, everybody's got their own different way of uh, – interpreting the law every culture has their own different way i mean we mm -hmm. find out later i'm not going to give everything away but we find out give later a guy, a guy says i took a life that's right. why i'm a prisoner and i i should actually die here and and you know burnham's like uh-huh and he's like you, <laughs> you didn't shrink away when i said that what, what's up yeah. with that it's like yeah. oh you don't know humans yeah we take lives right and then we blame it on them. Um, <laughs> we'll get to Felix in just a second because I, yeah. it's, it's a good point. It's very, very important. Really, that's the heart of the story. But yeah. the factor on this hospital planet, um, I thought it was kind of cool and weird. Uh, the the Arisa beetles were kind of a, a plot yeah. point here of having like the live vegetation. Like, oh, that's so cute. Holy crap, they're weaponized. <laughs> like, straight that, up alien yeah. planet, man. It's like going to the wrong hood and you having the car break down. So that was pretty, pretty <laughs> oh, rad. Oh, nice dog. He's a pit bull. Get in the car. Like the <laughs> Just get out of here. But but yeah, you're right. There, there are the examples. The name of the story, there are the examples. And it is interesting about what we think about objectively, or maybe not objectively, when we read stories in our papers as human beings. We go, oh, that person, lock them away. Put them away. Make sure that it doesn't happen. Let's get these dogs off our street. But then right. you realize they're human people. They're human beings. They don't need to die because uh, there's definitely certain death. And there, were, there was no cool, happy ending here, uh, especially right. for Felix. We'll get to a minute here. But I, that gave me a pause that there, there are people out there who are examples and we're trying to go for their freedom. And, and then they, they're treated as lesser than. Right. Right. It, it's, a, it's a sense that uh, these souls are not worth anything. And mm -hmm. so don't even bother saving them is pretty much what sovereign magistrate says. And that's just not how it's done uh, in, in the Federation. So uh, that leads to this incredibly intensely dangerous thing. And I don't know, dude. So Tell me. They enter the prison area and they see the beetle. And, uh, and I love the moment where Captain Burnham says to Book, like, well, just use your empath powers and tell him to like, back off. And he's like, yeah. I'm trying. It's not working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's when they realize that the Orions have weaponized the fauna, as you said. And, and at that point, I'm going like, um, this is so much like a level of a video game. Oh, yeah. Horde mode. So we call it. It's horde, <laughs> horde mode. mode. There so is a wave of things after you throwing Kung Lao Mortal Kombat hats. You got to find a way to get around them. That, that to me, was like, they're going to die. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who killed that you? Was, the beetle. <laughs> that was so awesome. The beetle. And then some of the beetles, like, open up and a giant flaming frisbee comes up and <laughs> flies at them and starts, like, buzzsawing its way through the rock they're hiding behind. What a way to go out. <laughs> it, it was it was just really like very video gamey and very like exciting. I actually really liked it. Very action movie. Yeah. So they get to the cutscene. No, I'm kidding. They get to the, the prisoners <laughs> and, and 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 there's a negotiation about what they can do. They they want complete freedom. Uh, Starfleet or Burnham acting on behalf of Starfleet at first is like, I can't do that. Like, yo, these are the terms and rules. We're not coming with you. It's like you're right. gonna die. And I thought it was cool. 
and weird that Burnham stopped and opened up the main the main <laughs> the main was like hmm, let me see what loophole I can use here to make sure I can get you here legally which is pretty cool because the old Burnham would have done that she was yeah. like no you're coming with me but now right. there's enough of that captaincy in there to say how can I do this the right way right right uh how can I be a leader how can yeah. I not do this through force but do this through leadership uh you said it before uh you said it the the week that i couldn't make it on the show but i did watch the show and enjoyed it so much um uh, i was you... i was digging a hole bro i'm thankful oh, no, for man, dude, yeah, i'm telling you that free flow that you had flow <laughs> that free flow that you had just brought out so many great ideas and so many so anyway one of the things that you said that i love so much is she is a captain she is fully a federation captain she makes judgment calls on the fly she tries to apply morality uh she tries to do the right thing not the official thing but the right thing um and she'll she'll go down swinging she doesn't you know she'll, she'll put what's right ahead of what's easy and that's mm -hmm. That's some good captaining right there. So I love that she, uh, she also like when they see the Beatles, she explains how Beatles make noise. Yeah. <laughs> she just, uh, Keton. Keton. It was so it's awesome. Like, it freaks books out. Yeah. I, I would too, man. If I, cause okay. So, you know, in like, uh, if you guys ever been to anything that's like subtropical or it's humid, like the equator or central America, uh, because uh, Florida, because yeah, good point. Well, South Florida, for example, for this example. Ha! You're right, good uh, roaches are lazy, so when it gets too humid, they fly. And if you've never seen a flying roach before, it's terrifying, right? Oh but you can imagine seeing a flying cockroach, and be like, you know, actually, all insects have wings. Like, hey, woman, I'm freaking out. <laughs> it has wings. <laughs> They're coming at me. <laughs> Damn, it's like trying. It's like finding out sharks can have wings. Oh yeah, dude. It's awful. Flying sharks. <laughs> Jaws would um, be the same. There was, uh, if you ever watched the uh, cartoon Black Star. Um, no. there's a character who can change. She's a shapeshifter. And one of his favorite things to turn into is a flying shark. And I was like, why would you be anything but a flying shark? Because like, <laughs> when he turns into his real, real self, he's like an elf. And I'm like, right. I mean, you look good, but you're not as dangerous as a flying shark. You get so many dates, bro. <laughs> Seriously. No one's going to miss you in the tavern if you're a flying shark. I'm just saying. <laughs> the trigger uh, problem. But the, uh, yeah, um, what I what I love about um, she's she's super smart, you know, um, she's like she's going to the books. She's hitting the books. And that's how she figures out, oh, we can offer them political asylum because let's yeah. face it. This was political theater, them being imprisoned to begin with, based on what she was told. We also right. find out she wasn't told everything. And that mm. that makes for the very interesting last third of the episode. So let's talk about it. Felix, the de facto leader of the examples, says, look, I, I negotiated the asylum. Go ahead. Uh, as you mentioned before, mentioned he was a killer. And Vernon was like, oh, hell no. Why? But the story was kind of heartbreaking. If you guys seen the episode, I'll try to do it. It's not nearly as much gravitas. But he was a poor beggar. Got, got let into someone's home. Forgot some food. Tried to take uh, the guy's cash, it seems, or Latinum or whatever money they had. Struggled and killed them and took their La, La Longi orb which is basically like a, like a record, like your ancestor.com record of your entire lineage, the, or the, the heirloom of the uh, Akali, and just pieced out. So he was living with that. He basically ended a, a family line, and he's going through some stuff. Now, John, let me ask you this. 
He went through all of that. Did you believe at that point in time he was going to stay? Or you think he'd be like, oh, you're right. Penance. Like, what did you think was going to go through your mind? Or how do you think the show was going to end? You know, I, I was going through the tug of war. I have to admit, I didn't. I was with Book. I was like, wait, you're going to let someone choose to die? Is that really how we do things? Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, that's a very sneaky way to bring up that question of, does somebody have the right to determine their own end? Right. It's a taboo in our culture um, because basically ending yourself is very much a taboo. Um, I've always argued that a lot of what religions are for is to keep people from doing that. Okay. That's uh, I heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, just very, very quickly, if you tell people that by ending your own life, you will go to hell or you will be punished, or it will be like the worst thing that could happen. Um, there you go, Craig. Choose to live, which was uh, what two episodes ago. That was mm -hmm. the that was the name of the episode. Um, so this theme, you know, in a modern world, people ask all the time, like, why do these school shootings happen? And mm. and I think it's because the taboos of destroying life are. Um, often passed through religion and if you don't give somebody a religious foundation mm -hmm. they're gonna go the other route which is life is accidental life is not life is not planned life is not uh so special and we should not feel that way honestly because we could make each other's lives better if we value life we make our own lives better and make everyone else's life better um, but that is that's a sort of uh, post punishment way of looking at it. Sure. So here here we are. You know, the guy is making his choice, and Book, who saw his entire people, like I I keep trying to wrap my head around that. If you were in space and then Earth is destroyed, right? Like everything, everything's gone. It's only you now. Mm -hmm. What he's going through is so brutal. So here he is just about, well, I mean, he is, he's tearing up as he's saying, we've got to save him. That's the only thing, us saving him. And he's right. basically saying, you have no right to save me. I choose not to be saved. Yeah. Uh, very Crazy. complex issue. I, I, I know it's a cop that I was torn. I did see both ways on that one, but just sort of the 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 auspicious of this show. Let me just say, from from Burnham's perspective, you know, here's somebody that believes a way they believe, and they are control of their vessel. And if I take them against their will, that would be tantamount to kidnapping, even though they would be under asylum. Um, Burnham did she can; she gave him a memorial, had to tell the story if need be. Uh, but it was an easy issue, and I thought it was kind of unfair. Yeah, kind of tacked on at the end. He's like, by the way, think about that. Bye. You know what I mean? But but I, I do think it's one of those moments you think about. Like, if you're in a situation where you have a chance to save someone and, and someone goes, go on without me, you go, no. But someone goes, go on without me. I caused damage to this entire bloodline. I have, I mean, that's a genocide, but I've done this thing to an entire lineage. Let me go. Right. Does that change anything? Does the severity of the crime change anything? Or is it absolutely, I'm, I haven't charged my body? Yeah, I mean, they make it easy for you here because it it, it is the um, 
storytelling in the United States, especially, was very much affected by the Hayes Code in films, the Comics Code in in comics, uh, just generally the rules of publishing. And one of the things that you see often, especially in old stories, is if someone takes a life, they almost always get killed at the end of the story that we see them in. Hmm. There's almost always some divine justice, some you took a life, so your life is forfeit. Um, a, a, a hero very infrequently kills, very, very right. infrequently. And when he does, he's usually killing a killer. Right. So he's taking, he, he is the instrument of justice, divine justice in that case, because, Whew. you know, there's this sense. So um, that's very traditional. The guy did take a life and the guy has been an advocate for the other prisoners who didn't do things as dangerous. And he also doesn't romanticize what he did at all. There's no, yeah. no excuses, no explanations. Um, just, you know, I had nothing. I did a terrible thing. It resulted in killing a man. And then um, I realized that I had taken his legacy, taken his, the rest of his family, pretty much away from him and away from themselves away from each other and 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 living with that you know that's all he wanted in the end it really was kind of a beautiful end there which is weird because here's the dma actually serving some kind of cosmic justice weird well it is interesting how like the the idea of a big, almost a natural disaster, of a disaster, uh, we tend to, back to religion, try to extract reasons before it, right? It's kind True. of interesting to me that all the major religions on the planet now have a great flood story, which implies that something yeah. must have happened along those lines, because right. what can you pull from mass destruction, right? right. Uh, but, but the Lalongi orb, uh, belonging to family Doxica, is returned, uh, and there is a moment there of of solace that, that, that or she got her face back on that tree um yeah. which is pretty cool but the question i have for you is right after that john it seems to me that our new ai zora is healing emotions yes. oh my god wtf bro oh man that was like a d story that happened so far in the background we uh was it last episode or the episode before where we even learns that sh the computer have has a name two seven yeah two episodes ago yeah it's like zora Zora, um, she yeah. named herself Zora. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what, what, your, your computer did what now? <laughs> yeah. Computer's called computer. Um, <laughs> hey, Siri. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Catch me up here because, you know, I do, I do smoke a lot of herb to go to sleep every night. Um, <laughs> I can answer. And, and to make TV more fun. Um, did this particular computer zora is the result of their ship's computer combining with the severe so it's implied that it's uh, the retrofit the onboard and the sphere data combined with everything else they've learned in the time they were there so it's, it isn't from one particular lineage, but kind of a pastiche if you're in the uh -huh. chat listening now if you have any more insight on that let me know but i was under the impression it's kind of like what they pull from all those together so it's kind of like data from the next generation in that it is a sort of unforeseen life form that is kind of unreplicated. It's sort of accidental yeah. in its existence. Like Gideon from the CW series, <laughs> CWDC series. <laughs> right, right. Yes, uh, very much. Uh, okay, so that makes sense. And, and what really works for me there is uh, Burnham is like, 
uh, okay, nice talking to you too. Well, uh, well, she says, "quote uh, It's difficult to weigh duty against compassion." She goes, "Whoa, you got feelings now, dude." And she's like, "Yeah, you know how it is. Emotions, am I right?" I was like, <laughs> "We're just these these AIs going out there getting emotions. They don't pay taxes." No, I'm kidding. Well, it's kind of interesting to me, though. I it's very interesting because I just look at it through the lens of the other captains. Like, I don't think Kirk would be cool with this. I do think Picard would be. I don't think Cisco would be cool with this. I do think Janeway would be. I don't think Archer would be. And Burnham ain't. She's not cool with this. And I love Let's, that. That's real. There, look, we're in the future. We're in a science vessel, but technology doesn't really last long. Talking about control or Lieutenant Arium, they don't last long. So yes, if I was burned, I'd be freaked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's right. I mean, control was like the, one of the big bads of the previous season, and AI tends to be very dangerous in the in this world. So uh, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. What I do like about it is that. Zora is another sort of new crew member. And I'm I'm kind of digging that. I kind of dig how they're they're spreading out. Oh, as you were saying before about Reese, I mean the actor who plays Reese, I I I I've seen some interviews with him and he puts a lot of thought into what he does, which you don't have to do with a, a role that small usually. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if they're like, this guy's really on the ball. Let's kind of give him the the ball to to score with sometimes. You know, let, let's let's give this guy a little more. And his sweet little backstory of I really want to help uh, rescue these people because when I was a little kid, um, our colony was in trouble. A hurricane, a hurricane was wiping out my home yeah. and we were rescued by Starfleet. So now I want to do that for someone else. That's 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 Starfleet right there. <laughs> that's exactly what Starfleet's for. That's what Starfleet means. I bada boom. love it. <laughs> Save disasters. Bada boom. Gabagool. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that mozzarella. Oh, it kisses your tongue, Flobo. You way wrong. You way wrong. Uh, so glad you're back on the other side of positive. I was a little worried about you last week and the week before. Uh, I, I can't believe so much negativity in the show has made me so positive. What's up with that? Well, I don't know either. Uh, Craig Robinson says, I just like the thought that Burnham couldn't tell anyone she's freaked out about the ship because the ship will hear. I mean, Ooh. We got some uh, we got some serious Space Odyssey stuff going on here, right? I guess. Does that mean Zora's watching her with Booker? Bam! Hey, what about <laughs> what about the fact, and this gets dropped out of nowhere, um, when they're talking, they're reminiscing about the year that Burnham was there before the discovery arrived. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I, I didn't love the just friends rule. Yeah. Did you believe they were just friends that whole year? I kind of did. I, 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 I did. Uh, maybe they could have done some like, I'm man, not your woman type deal. But I really feel like book Booker was annoyed. and didn't understand where she come, came from. And, and yeah. Burnham was still, but the first two episodes, so emotional and distraught that I didn't yeah. want to have that image. It's like having your parents do it, you know? Like it, it, it happened, but I don't want to have it happen. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that retcon. Totally fine. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense that, like, once stuff is settled for her, then she's like, okay, now we can be boyfriend and girlfriend. Because yeah. I've certainly had that relationship a few times. <laughs> well, because, I mean, she... Burnham is all law and order, and she had to learn to be a savage. So I kind of just have being like, I don't put my guard up with you, kind of a thing, you know. That's a good point, and uh, you know, it does it does 
go to show that Book's a good guy because he didn't just dump her on the first asteroid. <laughs> Once she said, no, we ain't getting busy, he was like, well, all right, we'll stay together. Oh, boy, is it not in space? <laughs> By the way, you got to watch that pilot of the Homeland out of space because John Webber's in it. Um, so it's so, so great to be a part of it. Uh, any last thoughts before we get out of here, John? It's been a crazy week here for Star Trek Discovery lore. So much oh has God. been advanced. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I still don't know that this isn't V'ger from Star Trek, the motion picture. I still don't know that. Something future. is controlling it, but we don't know necessarily that it's a it's a weapon or anything. It could mm -hmm. actually be a life form like V'ger who just doesn't understand how much damage it does or doesn't think that carbon-based life forms are that important. Um, it could be that. I would mm -hmm. hate for it to be some Harry Mud knockoff I'd hate for it to be some, you know, big bad wearing a wearing a tie. Like that's yeah. right. I'm destroying space. What you gonna do about it? Like, <laughs> Patrick Warburton, what are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know how Patrick Warburton did, by the way. Yeah, I'm destroying entire systems. What what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> hey man, I made a lot of money ripping that guy off. <laughs> Fair enough, man. You know, it was a long time. I didn't have a beard, and people thought I was Cory Booker. And I wondered if I could be ah! a celebrity impersonator. But I grew the beard, and the game was over. So I don't. <laughs> I have one Easter egg I can offer everybody. One Easter egg. Okay, so the scene where Captain Burnham meets with Doxica, the Doxica girl, and uh, she presses the little button, and the family tree comes up at the very top of the family tree is a person who looks like vanilla ice. Oh. <laughs> go, go to the Base 80 uh, Facebook page and yeah. I will put up the photo I took and I'm telling yeah. you, that looks like vanilla ice. Check it out at Starbase 80. Our sister show, Starbase 80, airs every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. We go into the deep dives of older Trek and some of the new stuff, too, as that gets growing. We have some good guests. That you better check that out because I don't know anything but old Trek. So I get to be total a newbie to most things. Like, like for example, this that show helps with this show. Because, like, in the first scene of this episode, there was USS Janeway. I know who Janeway is now. Thank you, Starbase right. 80. <laughs> that's right yeah uh and uh coming up uh this saturday uh this sunday this sunday at uh it's 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern uh it'll be me of course flobo boys the the bex xo in the whole damn federation and our guest anthony devito one of brooklyn's finest comedians bada boom hey <laughs> bada boom uh i guess I'm who still now. lives in brooklyn who still lives in Brooklyn? Technically correct. Let me finish. <laughs> Before I get out of here, my favorite quote of the week. There were so many quotables, but I liked uh, when our homeboy, <laughs> our homeboy was like, "You may not like me, but I love me," and that's yes. a that's advice for life. That's that was a great one, and I actually, Darka. oh man, I my my quote of the week came from Jet Reno. The more you feed the monster, the more you need the cage. Woo! Wow. Woo. Sounds like wow. a Gatorade ad, but I love it. Um, John, we gotta get out of here. How can anyone connect with you? How can anyone figure out to follow you online? How to go about doing that? Over on Twitter, we are uh, Starbase80. Uh, on FX, um, on Facebook, uh, we are. Uh, uh, there's the Starbase80 page, but also my personal um, network 
uh, Weber internet thingy. Uh, and uh, please check us out because we, oh, uh, dude, I'm going to debut a show tonight. Oh, tonight. wow. I hope it's about how to spell Hori Tori. I'm still confused about that. <laughs> this is Commander's Log, your one-stop shop for Star Trek Discovery and hopefully strange new worlds. But until next week, man, you got to do the thing. Gotta live long and prosper. LLM.